All right, let's get into the word. We're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 20 in verse 17. And here's what I I titled this morning's sermon, Preparation. So before we even get into Jesus's conversation in Matthew 24 and 25, we need to understand the context. And Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25, he's responding to his disciples' question When are you going to come? What's the sign of your coming? The coming of your kingdom is what they're referring to because they see Jesus right before them. So their their question is in reference to his kingdom. So when we sit in that information today, we know that we are talking about the return, that we are talking about the second coming of Jesus. And the overall exhortation out of the passage that Jesus is teaching to us is that we need to be watchful, and we'll define that as we get to it, and that we need to be ready. So what does that mean in our life and our context and what we have going on today? So why are we backing up to chapter 20? We're backing up to chapter 20 because everything dealing with this section leading up to this question with the disciples is dealing with Jesus's first coming. And the issue that is relevant to us is that the culture which Jesus came to, they loved God, they loved his word, they loved each other, but they missed the first coming of, the, of their Messiah. The majority of the culture did. As we sit in the context of Jesus' second coming, when we sit in all the different prophecies, all the different promises of God, we are told that the vast majority of humanity is going to miss it. They won't be watchful. They won't be ready. And that includes many who identify themselves as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So context in, in preparation, we want to learn from prior generations and we want to learn from the teachings of Jesus in regards to what is he communicating to us um, and how others missed so that we won't miss him not only at his coming but in our daily lives as we walk with him. Now this is, you guys got to kind of follow along with my personality. I'm sorry that you have to put up with me. Eli asked me a question at the dinner table. This is on Thursday night. I don't even remember what the question is anymore, but he asked me a question and before I even had the chance to answer, he's, dad, I want, I want the concise version. <laughs> I have a very difficult time being concise. Because again, when, it, when somebody asks you a question or you're dealing with the word of God, ideally, like context is, well, you know what? Everybody just go read the entire gospel of Matthew and that'll help with the context of what's going on, of what we're going to study. And as a matter of fact, don't just read Matthew, but why don't you go start at Genesis and read the entire word of God? Because all of it has instruction to how to interpret and how to apply these, of what Jesus is saying in our lives. So... This is my long-winded personality. I'm sorry. So before we even get into Matthew 24 and 25, we need to be prepared. So Jesus is first coming, and this is how he's preparing his disciples, his followers. Now Jesus, again, chapter 20, verse 17, going up to Jerusalem, very central, he takes the 12 disciples aside on the road, and he says to them, now think about this. Here they're, they're traveling, they're walking a dusty road, they're in their small little groups, probably having their independent conversations, and uh, you know they kind of draw alongside for some water, for some shade, to take a break. And Jesus, Jesus tells the twelve, "Come here, guys." 
And this is, he says, he says uh, behold, literally, pay attention. This is, this is something that's important. You can hear the, the side conversations that the disciples may be having as they gather around Jesus, maybe some laughing, maybe some giggling, and Jesus, pay attention, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. That I, the, the chief priests and the scribes, as we flow through the rest of the context this morning, much of the conversation is associated with those who are leaders in the community, religious leaders, what they are teaching, how they are leading, and how ultimately they're leading so many people astray. Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to be betrayed to these individuals, the chief priests and to the scribes, so to the Jews as a culture, and they will condemn him to death. They judged him to death. And they're going to deliver him to the Gentiles, so Jews and Gentiles, will have their imprint on Jesus' death. They're going to mock him and the scourge and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. So here, again, as we sit in, when we get to the Olivet Discourse, it's known as prophecy. There's a prediction of the future. We just sang this song in regards to there's not a single promise of God that has ever failed. Jesus is the prophet, and here we are watching him give to his disciples a prophecy about what's going to happen in the immediate future to him. And this is, this is the context that we want to sit in. So as Jesus has called these men to himself, and there's women involved too, this whole community that's traveling together, you have to, we have to think and understand what the reality would be. People are taking notes. As we're reading the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is a tax collector. So this is a guy who knows how to write. He's educated. And you can imagine that over time that he's been pinning things down. And you know that as they get back on the road, you know, they're meditating on these things. They're having a conversation about what Jesus said, about what this means. But as Matthew sat down to pin this letter, this gospel, this information about the entire context of Jesus' life, he has a goal in mind. The Holy Spirit has a goal in mind as Matthew is pinning. Different goal than Mark, different goal than Luke, different goal than John. So even as you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them dealing from this final prediction of Jesus about what's going to happen, all of them take a little bit different theme, so to say, as they're communicating the information. Again, the Lord using their personalities, using their perspectives, but at the same time communicating something very specific. So as we travel through the rest of the text this morning, we're going to stand outside of the historical culture, the historical, um, the things that we could press into there, and we're going to focus on theme. So the immediate theme is Jesus has just prophesied what is going to happen to him when they show up in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders for the nation of Israel and at the hands of the Gentile leaders as Rome is ruling over them. And the immediate conversation, again, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to, go, we're going to look at this in theme. So as they get back on the road, 
However this happened, James and John are having a conversation with each other. And as Jesus is talking about his kingdom in some fashion, they've already skipped over the betrayal and the mocking, and they've turned to their own selves. And they want to ask Jesus a question, and neither one of them has the courage to do it. So they say, hey, Mom, would you go ask Jesus for us? And they ask this question, sending Mom, would you grant, would you say to these two sons of mine, one to sit on your right hand and the other to sit on your left, in your kingdom? And down in verse 25 of chapter 20, Verse 24, all the other disciples hear it. They're greatly displeased at James and John just because they asked the question first. He calls them to himself. As you know that the rulers, the leaders of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They have dominion over those who are subject to them. Those who are great, mega in their cultures, they exercise authority. They reign over them. Jesus is teaching. So as we sit in theme here, it shall not be so among you. So among us, this, this, this heart of dominion and reigning rights, authority over others, it shall not be so among us. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, which is passive, but to serve, active, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we sit in the subject matter of, of who Jesus is, about his return, who we are in him, who we are in following him, how we serve him, how we interact with one another, how we interact with the culture, those who are outside and those who are inside. One of, the, one of the major themes, one of the major principles that we have from the Lord is humility. And as we talk about Jesus returning, this has to be a subject that we approach with in humility. Not in pride, not in thinking that we have everything figured out. Because again, as he is communicating to his disciples, they're, they're welling up with pride. They've been following Jesus face-to-face, -face, watching all these miracles, empowered themselves. And these individuals, they are processing through their own self-indulgence, through their own desires of who they want to be and his kingdom of who they want to be. And again, they, they have this intimate relationship with him. They've been called. They've been chosen. They've been empowered. It's all, it's all incredible. But here, the Lord has defined his death, his burial, and his resurrection to them. And their hearts are immediately turning to, well, what about me? And I do this every single day. And there is a theme from the Lord as we process through our relationship with him that we are to pursue humility. Now, as we talk about serving others, it's It's hard. Julie, as I was walking out the door this morning to walk down here, she's going through that conversation of, she, does, she wanted to come down to church today. She wants to worship God together with the body of Christ. She wants to fellowship and have conversation with you. She wants to be a part of what's going on, but for her to serve the community together, she had to make the choice to stay home today. Now, was that a fun choice? Many of the choices that we have to make every single day to serve other people, they're not to our own benefit. 
And this is what did Jesus do? Just as the example that we have, Jesus did not come to be served, to receive, to have this passive side of the relationship, but the active to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave himself as the price of release for many, and he is our example. As often as we gather together in our behaviors, but even as we talk about different doctrines and those kinds of things, we need this position of humility. Now, as they are in Jericho, they're traveling out of here. You know, we're not going to go through this verse by verse, but they're walking alongside of these two blind men, and they shout out for, they hear that Jesus is passing before them. They know the testimony of who Jesus is, and they're shouting out to God, God, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. The people, the multitude, be, be quiet, don't bug them. And it's shouting out all the louder, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Jesus stands still and he calls them. He asks them this question. And I think he asks us the same question as we are crying out to God, God, have mercy on me. God, I need your compassion. I need your healing. I need your provision. I need your wisdom. I need, Lord, have mercy on me. Be compassionate to me, Lord. And God turns his attention to us, stands still, looks at us, and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And this was one of the songs from today. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to see you shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power, Lord. Pour out your love as we sing to you. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Think of this, the the position as as Jesus declares himself to us and gives us promises. And we approach him and we approach others in this heart of humility. As we talk about his first coming, the culture, for the most part, they missed him because their eyes were not open. They were not humble. They were not seeking him. They were stuck in their tradition. They were stuck in their ways. They were being led by false teaching. They were being led by men who were puffing themselves up rather than exalting the Lord. And again, this ought to be as we press into our culture right now in humility. Lord, I need my eyes opened. Just as a blind man cannot sense the world around them through that visual sense, Lord, I need your mind, I need your heart, I need your wisdom, I need your spirit. My eyes need to be open to what is true and to what is false. Subject matter, theme, and again, I don't think that this is random. Again, as as you step into the context of the theme, like why is that important for this miracle to be shared at this point? Again, when you sit in the theme, I think it is very prevalent to what is being spoken because now in chapter 21, it leads us into the testimony of 
Jesus as Messiah, as the King of Israel coming to his people. And again, this is fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. And you can sit in that prophecy, and we will as we get into chapters 24 and 25, because it has so much to say about what the world is going to look like prior to Jesus returning. But here, behold, your king is coming to you in verse 5. You have many multitudes in the community who are shouting out. And again, they're, they're singing a psalm. Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. There's many in the culture saying, who is this? And many are saying, this is Jesus. This is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So here is the Messiah, the promised one coming to his people. And for the most part, what have we already defined and what do we know from history? That the culture was blind. They were not ready. They were not watchful for the coming of the Messiah. And as, again, as we're going to step into it, this is what we are commanded to do today, to be ready, to be watchful. When Jesus enters in, so he enters into this scene known as Palm Sunday that we teach about many times and most of you are going to be familiar with, but he steps into the temple of God and it says that he drives out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now context from worship this morning. God, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, it even faints for you. For here, where? In his dwelling place. My heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Listen, better, better. Jesus is better. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Think about the best moment of your life. Better is one day, one moment in the place where his glory dwells than thousands of the best days that your imagination can possibly give to you. Better is one day in his presence. The temple of God was to be the place where God's glory dwelt in the midst of his people. As God reveals himself in the Son, in Jesus, in the flesh, and comes into the place where his glory is to dwell, what does it look like? Jesus says, you have made this place into a den of thieves. So just, again, just sit in the imagery of it. Worshippers are coming to worship God. 
They are coming to the place where they are told that God's glory dwells. This is where you come through sacrifice. This is where you come through worship. This is where you come through prayer. This is where I will meet with you. This is where I have put my name, is what God has said about the temple and about Jerusalem. And Jesus says, as I, God, am coming into my place where my glory dwells, it's as though I've just entered into a den, a dark place of people who are criminals, robbing from one another, violent. A place that's unsafe, unsecure, filled with the flesh rather than filled with the glory of God. So, again, at Jesus' first coming, the culture missed him. When you sit in Jeremiah chapter 7 where Jesus is quoting from, the, whole, the theme of that passage is that the culture is believing lying words. The teachers of, their, of the, the religious teachers of the day of Jeremiah and the religious teachers of the day that Jesus is there, they are teaching lying words. They say many things about God. They say many things that are true. But in their teaching, they have caused many to miss the coming of their Lord because they were not willing to humble themselves. And we're going to watch Jesus address this group of people repeatedly up until Matthew 24 and 25. My house, it should be called a house of prayer. And again, context in there is an Isaiah. It's a house of prayer, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. Now, you step into verse 12, this, this whole thing with the fig tree. The fig tree is a metaphor for the nation of Israel. In Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Joel, they all use the fig tree as a metaphor. As Jesus, God, Messiah, as he has just revealed himself as the king, theme again, using this fig tree on the side of the road, it had no figs on it. There was no fruit it was not producing what it was created to produce, and therefore, he judged it. And again, the metaphor, the picture, Israel was not producing what the nation of Israel was created and preserved for. To be worshipers of the true and living God, rather than to be worshipers of the traditions of men. The disciples marvel at this. And Jesus answers and says to them, you know, again, again, because he judges this tree, so to say. It's a metaphor for judging the nation of Israel. The fig tree withers. Again, sit in all that imagery, that judgment. Verse 21, Jesus says to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now this isn't using God as our genie in a bottle, so to say. But Jesus says, in prayer, in faith, 
as you seek me in this house of prayer, right? As he dwells within us, as we ask things according to his will, according to his plans and his purposes, we will receive those things. Now, verse 23, when he came to the temple and here the chief priests and the elders of the people, they confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority, what gives you the right to do these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, for again, through chapter 23 now, there's this, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of the day. He, and I'm sitting in this in a specific way, just of my own calling. You're going to sit in this and how he has called you. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus shifts into this question about the baptism of John. Where's it from? Is it from heaven? Is it from God? Or is it from men? And they refuse to answer the question because they know that they're trapped. They know what is true, but they're not willing to change when confronted with the truth. So Jesus says, Verse 27, neither will I tell you by what authority the right that I do these things. But now, again, he starts shifting into confrontation. But what do you think? Man has these two sons. There's three parables here. I'm not going to go through them in depth because we don't have the time. But every single one of them is teaching the same thing in regards to those who have the, these leadership roles in the community. A man has two sons. When he comes to the first and said, son... Go, work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they know the answer. The first did. Here's the teaching. Here's the application. Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, enter into the kingdom of God before you. Why? For John came to you and the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent. You didn't regret the decisions that you had made in the past and believe him. And this is this constant confrontation that he's giving to these individuals. It's confrontation that he gives to us. It's the confrontation that we're supposed to give to one another and to the culture. That when we are confronted with the truth, repentance is necessary. Not digging in our heels. Another parable gives this landowner, planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower, he leases it to these vine dressers, goes into a far country. And again, this is all speaking about the religious leaders. They are the vine dressers. But they, as, as the... As God is looking for fruit, right, in the fig tree analogy, metaphor above, when the servants are sent, they're beaten, they're killed, they're stoned. Last of all, he sends his son to them. They will respect my son. But when the vine dresser saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard, killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine dressers? 
What will Jesus do when he comes? When he comes with his kingdom for all eternity? They missed his first coming. May we and may this world not miss his second coming. And may all who need to hear the gospel, may they hear it. Why? Because verse 41, what is he going to do? He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus says, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous in our eyes, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom, listen to this, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. This would, that statement would cause them rage. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Again, the leaders, when the chief priests and the Pharisees, when they heard his parables, they perceived, they knew that he was speaking to them. And they sought to lay hands on him. They feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Wedding feast. Kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Listen to this. They were not willing to come. Sends out other servants. I've prepared my dinner. All things are ready. Come. They made light of it. Went their own ways. Their own farms. Their own businesses. Says the king, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, burned up their city, and said to his servants, The wedding is ready. Those who were invited were not worthy. Listen, being not willing is what makes us not worthy. Submitting ourselves. To the Almighty God through faith in Jesus Christ, as a volunteer in willingness, he causes us to be worthy, to remain in this position of being unwilling to submit to him, unwilling to hear him, unwilling to follow him, equals being not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. We all need to hear this. As many as you find, invite them. In your homes, out in the world, go out there. As many as you find, invite them to come to Jesus. Both the good and the bad, invite them all. But make sure when they come that they have on the wedding garment, which is being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus himself, not in self-righteousness, not coming as they want to come, but being clothed according to the rules which again is his righteousness. Said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's pretty harsh. Just come and dress the wrong way to a wedding feast, don't you think? It's because he's not talking about a wedding feast. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
and what it's like when it comes. Many are called, but few are chosen. And all of this, we all have to, we have to hear. We need our eyes opened. We need to come in humility. We need to learn from the prior generation. We need to apply that in our current generation and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us day in and day out as he leads us in the opportunities that we have. Now, there were these conversations between the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes. Here, now it's the Herodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians, these guys are on, they're in opposite camps. They come trying to test Jesus, right? Jesus says, why do you test me? And the famous saying there, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So listen to, listen to the theme that's going on here. Jesus is confronting them very clearly and they know that he is and they're digging in their heels. Now they're coming to test him, trying to find out a way that they can trip him up. Finding out a reason why they can maintain and hold their position of rejecting him as their king. And they weren't able to. They marveled at his teaching and went away. Verse 23, now it's the Sadducees' turn. They deny the resurrection. Jesus, his instruction to them, the, the, again, the exhortation, he said, listen, these are, these are the people who know God's word backwards and forwards. They study it, they teach it, but it's according to their traditions and their ways, not according to the truth of what God's word says. Jesus says, you are mistaken. You do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Again, there's immediate context that we're not gonna press into, but their failure, their miss, their lack of humility, their blindness kept them from knowing and understanding not only the word of God, but the very power of God to save and to transform. Verse 34, the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, so now it's their turn again. And I'll send him a letter, a letter, a lawyer. Again, it's supposed to be a test. What's the greatest commandment? You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second, it's like it. You shall Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How many of you failed this week to love Yahweh, your God, your creator, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? How many of you failed this week to love your neighbor as yourself? Man, in the last month, I have missed loving people. (laughs) 
Again, the, it's not a, there's no condemnation. There's remembrance. There's reminding. I know that I'm supposed to love God with all that I am. And God, I can't do it apart from you. I know that I'm supposed to love people as myself. And God, I can't do it with all. We know these things. I hate missing. So God, change me. I'm a task person. I like my lists. I like putting my earphones on and just jamming through things. And that part of my personality causes me to miss people. Causes me to love myself and not to love others. Again, every single one of these people that he's speaking to, they hear it. They hear the truth. But you can hear this truth and dig into your heels and say, of course I love God with all that I am. Of course I love my neighbor as myself and be a total liar and blinded by your own deceptions. And Jesus confronting them on it and they're understanding the word of God and understanding who the Messiah is. Who do you say that the Christ is? Whose son is he? They all know he's the son of David according to prophecy. Jesus confronts them. How then does David call him in the spirit, call him Lord, saying the Lord Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your Enemies, your footstool. David then calls him Lord. How is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Now, this is a very challenging uh, chapter because, again, there's, there's themes in the subject matter as he's addressing the religious leaders, as he's addressing the culture which missed the first coming of the Messiah which we're addressing so that we don't miss the second coming in any way in his soon return, nor that we would miss the Messiah today. I don't know, uh, there's, one, uh, there's a movie, one of the Bible movies, it's called Matthew. Bruce Marciano is the actor who plays Jesus. Um, it's something that every time I go through this chapter, I think about how he portrayed Jesus as he's communicating very hard things to people that needed to be rebuked and they needed to be woken up. And in this, it's not this finger in the chest. He's the, the actor in this, he gives that scene of just of compassion and love and care. He loves every single one of these people that he's speaking these words to. Listen to this. Because all of this is in preparation. The scribes and the Pharisee, they sit in Moses' seat. Now think about who Moses was. He was a prophet of God. God used him to deliver them. He wasn't a king, but he sat in that seat as the ultimate ruler underneath God in that community at that time. He was... Over the priestly, I mean, Moses was like the guy in that time, right? The authority that he had from God was holistic in the community. These individuals, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say, and they do not do. Why? Verse 5, all their works they do to be seen by men. 
They like to be called rabbi, rabbi. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. Why? One is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers. Why? For one is your teacher, the Christ. Back to humility. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen to all these. Woe. This is, again, this is uh, an extreme, a great, can't get any higher type of warning. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Remember who he's talking to. Hypocrites. A son of hell. Woe to you, blind guides. Remember that need. We need to cry out to God for his mercy to open our eyes. You blind guides. You're fools and you're blind. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat because, you know, can't eat blood or anything. So they cough out a gnat and they're consuming a whole camel. What a description. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You cleanse the outside. The inside, you're full of extortion, self-indulgence. You're like whitewashed tombs on the outside, beautiful. Your religion your dress, your traditions, your culture, everything that you are doing on the outside, you look marvelous. But on the inside, extortion, self-indulgence, dead men's bones, unclean, inside full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, his teaching there is that let the inside be cleansed, and that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can cleanse our minds and our hearts. We cannot clean the inside. He cleans the inside. He transforms us. He changes us. He teaches us what justice is. He shows us what mercy and compassion is. He leads us in faith and through faith. Woe to you, verse 27, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
already did that one, 29. You build the tombs of the prophets. You adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. One of the songs that we sang was from Isaiah about the whole, um, about seeing the Lord on his throne of glory, the whole temple being filled with his glory and the train of his robe and all the earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah 6, you guys all can quote it better than I can. Isaiah was a prophet 2,700 years ago. We have been desiring and jealous of Isaiah's vision of God and his glory. I'm jealous of it. I don't know about you. We sing it in multiple different songs. Because I want to see the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Isaiah's culture sawed him in half is what history tells us. How much of our culture is saying right now, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them. Is that current and relevant in our culture today? If I'd been alive in the Civil War, if I'd been alive in the Revolutionary War, if I'd been alive in World War II, if I'd been alive in Jesus' time, I told you, I confess multiple times before, I read the Old Testament, man, nation of Israel, you guys are a bunch of morons. How long is it going to take you to learn the lesson? And then the Lord holds up scripture to my own soul as a mirror. Blake, you fool. Jesus transformed this man. Jesus says, you're witnesses against yourselves. You're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Jesus is first person. I send them. Some of them you will kill, some you'll crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the righteous blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. All of what we have read this morning has been a generation's miss of the coming of their king. In verse 37, we are exposed to the heart of God. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, pay attention, open your eyes. Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
I want to gather you. I want you. I created you. If you let me, if you were willing, I will dwell in you. I will reveal myself to you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new mind. I will cleanse your inside. I will wash you. Be willing. In context, as we step into chapter 24, Jesus went out, departs from the temple. His disciples come up to him, show me the buildings of the temple. And Jesus says to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you again, prophecy, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down, fulfilled in A.D. 70. Now, he sat on the Mount of Olives. That's why this is called the Olivet Discourse. The disciples came to him privately selling, saying, tell us. When will these things be? Their, their, their minds are wrapped around the coming of the kingdom. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We'll press into all of this next week. This is where we want to end. Jesus answers and said to them, and this is the, we focus on the imperatives. Take heed. And this, is, this is, revolves around, this word means to see. Take heed, see, pay attention to, and, uh, uh, consider Take heed that no one deceives you. And this is coming on the tail end of the religious leaders deceiving an entire culture that they missed Jesus. For many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, again, imperative, see that you are not troubled, that you are not disturbed that you were not agitated, that you were not filled with anxiety and worry. As we step into Jesus, what is going on in this world right now? For most of you, these are familiar passages. You've studied these things out just as much as I have. We're going to press into that conversation over the next couple of weeks and have fresh conversation. What I'm asking you to do is spend time in meditation reading through the next couple of chapters, and I want you to shelve everything that you think that you know or that you don't think that, whatever, just shelve everything. And Lord, open my eyes and open my mind to see your words fresh today. Don't let other people's teachings and, and whether they're doctrines, the teachings of man, even if they're true, shelve those things and just sit in his word. Jesus, let me sit at your feet. And let me hear your words. Give me an ear that can hear. Give me eyes that can see. Give me a mind that can understand. Give to me a heart of humility and of justice and of mercy. I humble myself to you intentionally. Because... Jesus' first, the first words that come out of his mouth in regards to their question is, sons, daughters, you need to see. You need your eyes opened so that you won't be deceived, so that you won't believe a lie, so that you won't miss my coming. And these are words that the church has held on to for 2,000 years. And I guarantee as we step into the Lord's presence, 
that there would be an abundant testimony to those who believed in the name of Jesus, but they missed his kingdom because they believed a lie. They were deceived. Whether it was self-deception, deception from the devil, deception from the culture, deception from false religious teaching. Take heed. Oh, but God, open our eyes that we would not be deceived. Today, in this culture, in our lives, in our context, I don't want to miss you, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me, and wash my inside. Change me. Transform me. I let go of, Lord, all that I think that I understand to hold on to your knowledge and the truth about you. We believe that you are winding things down in this world and that you are coming with your kingdom soon. We shout out that Aramaic praise, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But today, cause us to be watchful. Cause us to be ready. Change us. Transform us, Lord. Um, we're going to have a video lead us in worship. It's 12 minutes, so you can come up and grab communion at any time. I told Amber this was her fault. She sent this link a couple of days ago for a new song that we're going to eventually start singing in here. But I listened to it this morning for the first time. So as I'm listening to the worship team rehearse, I'm back in my office watching this video on YouTube. I'm weeping. And the weeping, it's my, it's my own relationship with the Lord. And I'm not saying that you're going to cry and all that kind of stuff. But the cry of this worship song is that God would refine us. I need God to burn out of me everything that doesn't belong in this man. And this is part of our sanctification process. Some things are instant. Some things take a long time for that pile to burn down. So join together and seeking the Lord. Lord, come, have your way among us. Refine us. Greg, go ahead and play, play that. And again, time for communion also.